Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson. Joining us with my co-host, Matt Fortuna, special guest, Mike Monaco, a return guest. Um, his experience, his Shamrock bump, which we'll talk about a little bit in, the, uh, in our interview with him. Did the College World Series. Uh, we talked a little bit of broadcasting, too. Um, Matt, this was uh, Marcus Freeman Car Wash Week, where he did, I think, seven interviews. I won't say back-to-back seven times, but... Philip, his entire Monday with it. I was in there for about a half hour, um, had a Q&A up on The Athletic today, uh, saving some stuff for kind of an Ohio State story down the road, some other recruiting stuff down the road as well. But um, instead of kind of going over personnel stuff, which I understand why um, different publications would do that, I kind of try to be as 30,000-foot view as I could on leadership and strategy uh, in terms of how I spent the time. What whether it be mine or some other thing, other sort of outlets, um, what do you sort of take away from the Marcus Freeman media blitz from Monday? Well, you, you, you mentioned car wash and your first question was about him driving a Ferrari, which he made clear yeah. is not his uh, full-time mode of transportation. I am curious, what car does he drive? We know Brian Kelly drives a Tesla. I've read that 12 yeah. times in the last I thought, six months. I thought I had to start with an automotive um, <laughs> question because every Brian Kelly story involves his Tesla plaid, but... I think it's it's an SUV. I couldn't tell you what it is, but I don't I don't know if it's an Escalade or a Yukon. It, it's something large that would fit a guy who is either transporting around football players or six kids. So there you go. Um, the Ferrari is not practical at all in that way. <laughs> no, I, that was my first thought when I read that too. And he got into it, and the answer was like that might not be the most ideal way to like stuff linemen into a car that you're trying to show around campus. But uh, no, I thought, uh, no, I, I liked your approach. I thought we learned a lot. Um, it'll never not be interesting to me to hear the way he taps into so many people from outside of the football world for, um, for leadership advice. You know, you're my, you, you mentioned Clark Lee in the story. It reminds me a little of Clark Lee in that regard, because there just seems to be this thirst for knowledge there that, you know, will, will, is evergreen. Um, but hearing him talk about the Jimmy Dunn's of the world, the Tom Mendoza's of the world, showing Notre, current Notre Dame players, you know, what they are essentially a part of, you know, regardless of how it goes for them on the field this fall. Um, I think that part of it is fascinating and it, it, it's got to be music to everyone's ears to, to hear him embracing all of this and not just talking about how he's embracing it, but showing how he's embracing it by bringing these guys in um, by giving them, you know, sounding boards for, for the current players and, and seeing all the different walks of life. These people come from, I think that part of it is interesting and will continue to be more interesting as he, he settles into the job here and, and taps into that network further. I, you know, I think I, I started with like, because we're Notre Dame sort of has a little bit of like a cool thing going mm-hmm. with recruiting. Um, and I want to know how intentional it was and, you know, you can take him at his word. He said that like, that's not the point at all. Like he's not out there trying to have cars on the 50 yard line, which I'd heard he was open to and thought like what Oklahoma did last year was actually a good idea. Uh, which is where I thought how maybe the Ferrari fit into the, the, uh, their narrative. But, you know, he said that, and this is sort of goes back to when he came on our podcast last Last summer, two summer. I don't even time runs together, but he wasn't even at Notre Dame two summers. Okay, ago. <laughs> all right. That's like I'm a bit lost at the moment. But when he did the the had the like the Jay Z line, it's it's about how you communicate it, 
as much as what you're communicating, like what you can sell as Notre Dame's head coach is not any different for Marcus Freeman than it was for Brian Kelly, maybe slightly different from Charlie Weiss, just because like the facility has changed a little bit. Um, but it all comes down to how you sell it. And I think Marcus Freeman, I think through his own personality uh, and work ethic is a, is really good at sales. Whether he feels like he's selling something or not is sort of irrelevant. The end result is you have a class that's probably going to finish in the top five um, on signing day in December. So like the, the different levers he's trying to pull to like, how do you reach prospects? How do you reach kids to make something that could seem mature or stuffy or stodgy or old seem young and potentially transformative. That's, that's an interesting part of the sales process that um, I think he sort of naturally just gets. Yeah. You know, he said it to you in this story. He said it last week on Michael Jr.'s podcast about the privilege of getting to go to school there and not just reminding them of that, but showing them, you know, in-person reminders of what that means. I remember four years ago, maybe sitting in on one of those four for 40 dinners for a story um, where Ron Palace had brought back, you know, a ton of both recent and older letter winners who were successful businessmen who spoke to the current team at that point. And all of them had different paths. Some of them were great players, some of them not so great, but they're all, you know, doing very well for themselves professionally. But the last one to get up there was, was our friend, Ryan Harris. And Mm -hmm. he's basically, you know, this is what he does, right? He speaks for a living. And when he gets up there in his suit, wearing a Super Bowl ring, telling everyone about the opportunity they have in front of them, um, it didn't just resonate, I think, with the people in the with the players in the room. It resonated with everybody in the room. Um, you know, there was someone I forget the name, but there was a letter winner who had spoken before Ryan Harris, who said <clears throat> who had worked for Google um, out of their Chicago offices. And, and Ryan Harris ended his speech by saying something to the fact of you just listen to a guy from Google. If I don't see you guys go up and get his business card and if you don't make every effort to drive 90 miles to see him, what the hell are you doing here? Cause you're not going to be in the NFL for 20 years. Like you need to take advantage of this right now. And this is one of the few places in this country that's allowing you the opportunity to have those advantages while also playing at a high level of football. And um, we can say that all we want. We can talk about it on the show all we want. Marcus Freeman going up there and, and showing it to his players through different walks of life, through people who are successful, not just in the nerd aim world, but in the business world at large in football world, of course, um, I think just resonates differently. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else going on in the Notre Dame world. Um, you know, we talked about Link Jarrett, and this is a baseball podcast, but we'll get into that with Mike Bonico, his move to Florida State. Um, you know, recruiting Do you is... think they mentioned the word family enough in his out, outro speech? Yeah, they did. They did. Um, <laughs> Uh, good honestly, for him. Not, I mean, good for Link Jared. I, I don't mean, but yeah. yeah. And I like, I like the video that Notre Dame put out. Um, it's the first time that I've seen Link Jarrett not wearing a baseball hat, which only uh, I think that actually explained why he's a genius because um, he's got a great hairstyle. So, um, you know, it's I think Notre Dame baseball is going to be in a permanent state, not a permanent state, but like a regular state of like you're always trying to find the next Link Jarrett. Um, that's sort of where Notre Dame fits on the food chain. And so it's on Jack Swarbrick to sort of go get the next one after signing the previous link, Jarrett. Um, you know, that's not, not every sport at Notre Dame has every advantage in the way that football does. So that's, that's just sort of the nature of the beast here. Um, Notre Dame football recruiting 
I think by the time we have our next podcast, Sunrain probably will have five more commitments. Um, one in the 2024 class and four in the 2023 class, a couple of Illinois kids in that group too. Um, you know, Cam Williams is a receiver scheduled to announce tomorrow night uh, from Glen Ellen, Illinois. But um, I mean, recruiting, I think it, it's kind of the rubber hitting the road a little bit more in recruiting. Now you look at the top five team rankings, Texas Tech and Northwestern and Cincinnati right. aren't in it anymore. It's Clemson and Ohio State and Ohio State's actually jumped Notre Dame. So now it's like, I think it's getting to the business end of this recruiting cycle, even though we're sitting, we're talking here on June 28th, but um, Notre Dame still seems to be moving along pretty nicely with a lot of, uh, a lot of forward momentum. Absolutely. Uh, look forward to seeing you probably on the other end of the 4th of July. Um, look, look forward to reading more of what came out of your sit down with Marcus Freeman yesterday. We got to get him back on the show because I mean, after last year's Shamrock bump, I don't know where he goes from here, nor, nor do I know where national, Mike Monaco goes. National champion, right? I mean, yeah, number one recruit. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, that'll be decided for the still signing some upward mobility here, Matt. <laughs> so, all right. Well, without further ado, we're going to get into Mike Monaco. Um, good to reconnect with him. I think he'll enjoy sort of the talk about the College World Series um, and also a little bit about the industry that he's into because that is going to be relevant to Nerdist broadcasts on NBC starting this fall. So, without further ado, here's Mike Monaco. Pleased to be joined by, I believe, second time Shamrock guest, Mike Monaco, who has experienced his own Shamrock bump, as we like to point out. Um, previous guest, it's a recruiting tool of ours. Uh, Mike, you've, I think, recovered from doing the College World Series, which seemed like kind of like a two-week bar crawl for people in Omaha. Um, what was that event like to do? And, you know, with Notre Dame's point of view, that was like really one of the great Notre Dame stories of the year with Link Jarrett, which obviously ends with him going to Florida State. But um, just sort of being around Notre Dame a little bit um, and that baseball story, I, I was curious what, what it was like to sort of be on the ground and, and see it unfold the way that it did. Well, pleased to be a recurring guest now, guys. Uh, thank you for the invite back. Um, on the road to recovery, not fully recovered. Uh, 13 days in Omaha, Nebraska, including travel days, not not much sleep, uh, a lot of alcohol, uh, and a lot of baseball. And it was really fun. Uh, and it was really cool seeing, um, just the event first and foremost, like I had never been. And I had had so many people the last number of years say to me, just even as a sports fan, like it's something you should go to at least once just the college world series. It's this eight team event, you know, in the, beginning of the summer in the middle of the country and there's fans of those eight teams. And then there's a ton of fans just of sports and of baseball. Um, so it was really cool to experience it like that and just see a, a packed stadium uh, for pretty much all the games. And then from the Notre Dame side of things, yeah, definitely like as good a Notre Dame sports story uh, of the year. And I would say in recent years too, like it is, it's unreal what Link Jarrett did with this program the last three years from where they were. And, and not that they were, you know, like the laughing stock of the league or of the sport by any means, but like they had fallen on hard times. And for him to get them where they got to is simply incredible. Um, and to see that firsthand was, was pretty cool. And I uh, was around the baseball program a fair amount as a student and got to travel with them on a few trips um, and filling in for their longtime radio guy, Chuck Freebie a few times. So just to see how, how different things are now uh, performance wise, success wise was, was pretty cool. And um, 
I was impressed and I guess pleasantly surprised by how many Notre Dame fans, Notre Dame baseball fans, I guess, showed up and packed the place. Like the first game they played uh, opening night against Texas, it, it was loud uh, at times in favor of Notre Dame and was that way for all their games. So uh, it was well attended by, by Irish fans and they were pretty vocal. That, that had to have been awesome for you calling your first College World Series, calling your alma mater there in a program that P and I have talked about this. There's no reason they should be there. Like there's no like if you look at the makeup of the other seven teams in the College World Series, you had six teams that are in or going to be in the SEC and Stanford, which obviously is in California. It's kind of a miracle Notre Dame has has, has fielded as strong of a baseball program as it has as it has, and it's not too surprising to see Link Jarrett go on to Florida State. But you, Mike Monaco, uh, baseball expert on this podcast, give us a list of names who can replace Link Jarrett. What, what should Notre Dame? Um, what should their direction slash philosophy be with, with trying to, to succeed this guy? You guys have heard this um, as much or more as, as I have from Jack Swarbrick through the years of like, he always talks about prior head coaching experience for a hire, but then you look at some of the recent hires he's made and that hasn't necessarily been the case. So I, I'm just really curious to see in which direction it goes. Um, you know, whether it's Marcus Freeman, the Ivy. Salima Rockwell with, with volleyball, like he hasn't gone the way that he had recently um, in terms of that head coaching experience. But um, it, it, it gets really interesting because like Link Jarrett was a slam dunk and Notre Dame gets credit now for identifying that. But at the time, like they were hiring the UNC Greensboro head coach. So, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't like they were plucking from another power conference necessarily. So uh, a name I've heard a couple of times is at UConn, Jim Penders. I, I would be stunned if that happens. I mean, that's an absolute home run, but I, I don't see him necessarily leaving there to come to Notre Dame. Um, there's really good head coaches, um, sort of, you know, conferences below that in the MAC at, at Kent State. Central Michigan has made noise the last couple of years in the regionals, um, including last year at Notre Dame. Um, Campbell. They have a great head coach who is going to certainly be in the mix for more big time jobs as well. Justin Hare, who I've gotten to know the last few years. He's really impressive. Very different going from, from Bowie's Creek, North Carolina to South Bend, Indiana. Um, and then assistants as well. Like maybe which assistants could they target, um, that are at the power conference level, maybe even within the, the ACC. So, um, I don't know. It's going to be a really interesting hire because it was a total slam dunk. It elevated the program. Um, and it's a program that still has deficiencies compared to the rest of the ACC or a lot of the teams in the ACC. So I think Link Jarrett, you know, is able to mask a lot of those, but he was dealing like you were just saying, Matt, like he, he was dealing with a, a different set of circumstances than the other seven teams in Omaha were, whether that's academics and, you want to play a midweek baseball game on a Tuesday or Wednesday and you're trying to get, you know, students out of class to, to, to start earlier. Like that's something they deal with the travel, which you guys don't need to have that explained to you. And no one listening to this does, but they're dealing with that in a way that, that other teams in the ACC are not. Um, and then facilities wise, like, you know, going around the last few weeks to, to different venues in college baseball, you see how like the haves in college baseball live. And it's incredible. Like I was two weeks ago for super regionals, I was in college station, Texas at Texas A&M. And 
they used to have like five years ago, like the crown facilities of the SEC. And now they've fallen to the middle of the pack. So they're doing a, a huge renovation there to, to change things. Um, that's not to say that you need all those things to, to be successful because Link Jared certainly proved that, that that's not the case. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see the future of the program. Could you give me a sense? Like I talked to Paul Maneri for the one baseball story I wrote going into the College World Series. And it was, I think it was more about like the nature of Notre Dame and being successful here. But like, could you give me a sense being around baseball people in Omaha, like why Link Jared is so good? Like, could you? Because I don't really have a, a grasp on like why he is essentially like a wizard in the dugout. Mm-hmm. So um, Mike Rooney, who played at Notre Dame, who's one of our top analysts for for ESPN college baseball, he always calls Link like a baseball savant, and and he is. Um, I texted Runes, as we call him, uh, sometime in May. I had just been talking to Link for like thirty five minutes, and I just texted Runes. I said. Link Jarrett is going to win a national championship. It's just a matter of if it's at Notre Dame or elsewhere. Um, and I, I firmly believe that. And that's not like gold, green, and blue, you know, tinted glasses, me talking here. Um, and I would say it boils down to attention to detail. Like the first meeting he had with when he got the job, some of his players, they were playing in the Cape Cod Baseball League. So summer ball before they, you know, come back in the fall. And he basically sat down with them on Cape Cod and said, like, what do we need as a program to get to the, you know, to the top of this sport, to the top of this, this conference. And he took out a pen and paper and started writing stuff down. And he just had an incredible attention to detail with that. And it carried over into their, their practices as well. Like their catcher, Dave Lamana, who was around for five years uh, at Notre Dame, he said it this way recently, he was like, we did our first practice with Link Jarrett and we all looked at each other after the practice and said, we got more done right there in that one practice than we ever have in that amount of time. Like he's just super focused on the details. Um, he has a really smart brain for, for how, you know, plays should be defended, how defense should be taught. Like I asked him, what's the most unique thing you do defensively in teaching defense? Because that was a huge part of their success the last three years. Um, and you know, he's timing, you know, normal plays of infield outfield with stopwatches and the guys need to know you have 4.2 seconds to make this throw to first if you want to record it out. So they just train it that way. Um, and I think, you know, to say nothing bad about the, the prior coaching staffs, you know, at Notre Dame going back to, you know, the success of, of a pulmonary, um, but what Link Jarrett did it, you know, he did it with a bunch of fifth year seniors, a bunch of fourth year seniors and a junior uh, in the starting nine. So like he took a lot of the same pieces that were already there or already committed. And uh, he took them to, you know, to the farthest reaches of the sport and a credit to them as well. You know, like it's not just the Link Jarrett story. It's those guys being gritty and being able to hit home runs in Knoxville, Tennessee and get a historic upset there. Um, so yeah, just really an incredible story. Sounds like a guy the White Sox could use right now. Uh, Mike, what was it like <laughs> calling a national championship, knowing that your voice will be kind of the soundtrack for Ole Miss fans for eternity, essentially? I mean, I believe that was their first national championship in any sport, and that's going to be replayed forever. Yeah, uh, kind of crazy when you put it in that context and tried not to think about it too much. Uh, 
over the course of the weekend. You feel a little guilty too. Like that's Carl Ravitch's job. And uh, he just happened to be away on Sunday night baseball. So like he should be the voice of that. But obviously it was a thrill to be able to call what ended up being the decisive game of the championship final, which is best of three. Um, I just didn't want to mess it up. You know, like I didn't want to have that be the time where I like get my words crossed or something. Uh, so I was happy that I, I didn't do that. Um, and then just try to like meet the moment, you know, um, you try to like put yourself in the position of one of those players or coaches or fans or parents or siblings watching and like what they would be feeling. Um, and I think that's one of the things I was drawn to from day one, when I got into broadcasting of like really as close as you can get to like actually playing and living the sport yourself. Um, and then sort of try to just to do the moment justice for, for what's going to be, you know, maybe the best moment of a lot of these players and coaches lives as it should be and for the fans as well. And I mean, those fans are, those fans are a different breed from Ole Miss. I mean, it was like 25,000 capacity for the two games of the finals. And it was at least 20,000 were Ole Miss fans and they were loud throughout the entirety of it. I've heard if you go to, I don't know if you've been there and I've heard if you go to either Ole Miss or Mississippi State, which makes sense since they're the last two champions. Um, if you go to a home baseball game at either of them, it rivals the football atmosphere at 90% yeah. of the schools around the country. Yeah. And their head coach for, for baseball, Mike Bianco, he's been the head coach there for 22 years. Um, and so, yeah, they have an unbelievable atmosphere at home. Swayze Field, they're doing beer showers in, in right field whenever there's a home run hit. It's, it's insane. It's exactly what you would expect, like, SEC baseball fandom to be. Um, but he said after game one of the championship series in Omaha, he said, it was like a football game. Like that was all he could compare it to that atmosphere wise, the way they were in it throughout. It was, it was unreal, especially on a Saturday night. You know, you, this is, I'm going to force a segue into uh, the art of play by play and football (laughs) because Notre Dame is, uh, they're going to have a new voice in the booth this year. I mean, Mike Tirico is kind of, will be uh, your NBC Sunday night. Yeah, huge (laughs) shamrock bump because that guy was not going anywhere before he came on our show. Um, You know, and and Drew Brees out there as well. So it's likely Jack Collinsworth, Notre Dame alum, and Jason Garrett's uh, longtime NFL head coach. Mike, I was curious, like, as somebody, because Collinsworth has not done a lot of play-by-play, and you you were able to sort of, like, take reps early on, right? Like, play-by-play. What... What is the hardest thing about doing play-by-play? What are the things you have to pick up the fastest? Yeah, uh, really interesting question. I feel like I'm still picking up stuff all the time. Um, yeah, it's just like, I mean, I always compare it. And like when I talk to young announcers, kids in college who want to do this, like in the weeks leading up to games, like sit looking at uh, YouTube videos or watch ESPN app of other hockey games. And like literally out loud, I would, put on a headset like because we're broadcast games from home so i've got all the equipment here and i would just like try to do a practice broadcast for like one media timeout to the next media timeout um so that's how i approached it i think it did help me get better um with hockey and by way of example and and in particular um and i needed to like so i got better quickly at it um so yeah reps i think is the biggest thing and then there's just there's just a comfort level like I still get nerves before broadcasts, but the more you do it, once you kind of settle into a game, um, I think those, those are, um, you know, those dissipate, I guess, good time. 
Um, but yeah, if it is Jack, I mean, Jack and I were a couple years apart in college, but once upon a time, we hosted like a national signing day show uh, for the athletic department. I remember and this. Pete, I think, yeah, you were you were the, the blue chip guest who came on and <laughs> I got to interview uh, either you or Mike Frank or, another, you know, another one of the, the aces who came in and Jack and I were trying to figure out how to pronounce names and stuff. So uh yeah he, he he and i get along great and he's been nothing but good to me and yeah man he's he's been a star in his career already how nice was it for you to get back on the road i think i don't know if you did many home games if at all this year but last year that was kind of the way of business um just to get out be around the environments have the freedom to do your job the way you need to do it what were some of the best memories aside from the obvious this past weekend in omaha yeah uh yeah a lot we so during the regular season for um, basketball, like the first half of the season for college basketball, didn't travel a ton. Second half of the season we did. And that was really fun. Like got to do a bunch of pretty big games at North Carolina, which was a really cool scene, including North Carolina, NC state. Um, that was fun. College baseball for the most part in the regular season, I was from home. Um, did get to do, um, a Boston college, like ALS awareness game at Fenway park, which was pretty neat. Um, so to be there in person for that was special. Um, the first round of baseball NCAA tournament, what's known as like the regionals, we were remote for that, but it was in Knoxville. So uh, would have been fun to to see what Knoxville was like for, for the number one team in the country. But still, even from afar, you could get a sense of it. Um, and obviously, Notre Dame did something <laughs> just unbelievable going there and winning the next weekend. Um yeah. And then, you know, being on the road, as you said, in Omaha, you know, that's, that's the only way you can do that. And we were staying at the same hotel as Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Those were the two teams designated in the same hotel where all of ESPN was. So I walked back into the hotel after maybe Notre Dame's second game there and I see Jack Swarbrick. And so we just, we stop and start talking for a few minutes and uh, you know, like he's lamenting, you know, a certain play in the game that could have changed things. Like he was totally engrossed in it. So like you just miss those moments when you're not on the road um, and getting to have conversations like that and hanging out around the batting cages during BP and talking to whichever assistant coach you want to, you know, um, and getting that sort of access. And so what's, uh, what's sort of the rest of your summer like? I mean, obviously you've got the regular gig, but like, do you, do you have like the next college world series? Are there, are there things on the radar? And I want to go, like you mentioned this at the top, like somebody told you like, Hey, that's, that's an event you got to go to. What's, what's sort of next for you, but also like what's an event you'd really love to call down the road. Yeah. Um, so thankfully for me, I get like a, almost a month off here, which I don't, I'm not going to know what to do with myself here for the next few weeks. Um, catch up on sleep, I guess. Um, I'll do some Red Sox games, which I've done the last few years. Uh, so that'll be the bulk of my work up until college football season. Um, and then kind of segueing into your question about event to go to, then the next big ESPN thing I have will be um, the Little League World Series in August, um, which I did for the first time last year and was just so pure, um, <laughs> the way as pure as sports gets. Um, and I'm excited to, to go back to that. And we didn't have full fans there last year, so didn't really get the, the full experience, I guess, from what I'm told by everyone who, who has been going there for a number of years. So really excited to, to see that, you know, in full swing. Um, 
And then like something I would love to call down the road. I think my answer for that is always March madness. Uh, I'm a college basketball junkie. So to, uh, to be have, to have any sort of experience in, in college basketball would be a lot of fun at that time of the year. If you curious as an alum, seeing the, the Marcus Freeman era take off over the last six months here at Notre Dame, your opinions and have you, I don't know if you would have crossed paths with them or, or got a chance to, to do anything with them with ESPN yet, but just kind of your general impressions of everything he's done so far. Yeah, I have not. Um, personally, I don't think ever, no, I've never met him or spoken to him. Um, but so I kind of live it vicariously, I guess, through like old college roommates and friends and group texts and uh, reading the athletic for sure. Um, but, but hearing how, uh, hearing just the excitement from, from the moment that, that he was hired and um, seeing that kind of continue. And, you know, I'm getting texts all the time with like the latest recruiting news and uh, who's committed and where Notre Dame fits on this guy's, you know, list of visits and his calendar. Um, I think it's impossible not to be excited about it. And um, yeah, I mean, we'll see how year one goes, but um, still like stunning when you think back on, on Brian Kelly's departure um, but then you think about what, what came out of it and you got to feel pretty excited about what the future is. And I, I've just been thinking of that, uh, in relation to, to link Jarrett, um, you know, with him leaving too, like, you know, some, some big hires and you can compare and contrast all of that, but, uh, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty excited about the Marcus, the Marcus Freeman future. All right. Well, Mike, we appreciate uh, you being a return guest. I think, Based on the Shamrock bump, the next time we have you on, you'll be hosting College Game Day. Um, so we look forward to you coming I, I back on the show. I actually have one more, um, especially since fantasy football has been in the news a lot in Major League Baseball lately. Whatever happened to the uh, Matt Fortuna fantasy football team in your league? Yeah, let me uh, let me let me find these texts here. So, um, <laughs> so Fortuna favors the bold. The name oh, of, of um, I approve of Patrick Butler, Notre Dame class of 2015 of his, uh, fantasy team. And on January, whatever it was, January 2nd, he won the fantasy football league with, with 12 Notre Dame guys. So and 14, January 14, 2nd is my daughter's birthday. This is perfect. Wow. <laughs> so, so you deserve a cut one way or another. I do. I don't want to go Tommy fan, Jack Peterson on him, but I want my money. <laughs> Yeah, on that we're gonna. We're, I think I might be better than hosting game day at this point. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, thanks for uh, making some time for us here. Talk a little uh, World Series link, Jarrett, Notre Dame football, and play by play. It's good. Always good to reconnect with you. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll see you down the road. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me.